Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Chris will drive one in the air, right field deep, pretty well hit. Back goes Mazzara. It's got a chance. Gone. Two-run home run, Chris Bryant, opposite field. Cubs lead two to nothing. Soon-to-be Hall of Famer Pat Hughes, right here on the score airwaves, uh, calling a Chris Bryant homer, and I would expect him to hit more homers. And I think he'll be traded somewhere between first base and third base on one of those homers for to people who haven't been born yet. We have Mark Grody. We have some Glen Allen Hill updates. Really? <laughs> yes, we do. Where are this you now, Glen Allen? From our, from our textures. Well, apparently, pre-COVID anyways, he was in Santa Cruz, which is, that's where he was born. And Kevin from Bolingbrook texted us, Glen, Allen's Hill, Glen Allen Hill's kid played at Joliet last year. He's the size of Glenn Allen's biceps. And then the 773 texter said, uh, hi guys, I'm in Santa Cruz, California, home of Glenn Allen Hill. I I last saw him pre-COVID last year at his kid's high school basketball game. It was cool to see him, being that I grew up watching him in Cubs baseball. So, there you go. All right. I'm glad to hear it. Yes. I mean, based on the dream accident that he had, for which I would have suspected that he needed help, it is it is glad to hear that apparently he got the help he needed, and he's alive and presumably well. Yes, the whole spider thing. That's one of the all-time great injuries. We, speaking of injuries, let's talk Cubs. We go to the score hotline brought to you by Alpamani Nissan, Alpamani Nissan in Melrose Park on North Avenue or APNissan.com. We welcome to the show Michael Cerami of Bleacher Nation. Michael, thanks for joining us today. And I believe that injuries have made you next up to pinch hit for Nick Martini. That's how it's going. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for my call from Jed to uh, get the uniform sizes in and I'll be out in the field if it keeps going at this pace. Yeah, how does it – they're winning. They keep getting guys injured. They're winning, and now they're going to face a whole bunch of good teams. So this is this is a the smelting plant. Find out what you're made of, what you come out of. I, I think this is what we'll find out. Maybe, maybe not. What do you think? What do you expect? Yeah, I think that this next um, month of the season is going to be the – the one that defines the 2021 Chicago Cubs, if they could come out of this uh, with their head uh, over water, they don't necessarily need to perform as well as they just did because they took care of business against a lot of weaker teams. But if they could stay in the race, keep pace with the Cardinals, you know, maybe play 500 ball against the Dodgers and Giants and Padres and Mets and Cardinals and Brewers this month, if they can do that, 
then I think uh, they will have earned the right to keep this team together as uh, the calendar flips to July and the trade deadline rumors begin. Uh, if not, if the injuries become too much for them, if they get overwhelmed by these better teams, um, whether it's unfair, unlucky, fluky, any of that, um, it might just be too little too late. And, you know, that's a bummer because they were finally rolling and really seem to figure out some important roles. But um, if that, you know, if that happens, you, it would be hard to blame Jed Hoyer for sort of switching back to the plan that seemed like the, uh, the go-to option in April. And there's a lot of good for the Cubs right now. Offense and run differential has been excellent. Their bullpen has been a revelation recently, especially during what was a six-game winning streak. But starting pitching is still very suspect. And Jake Arrieta is symbolic of that. Three and two-thirds yesterday. It was a rough one for Arrieta yesterday. Three and two-thirds, couple of runs, six hits. He walked four along the way. It was a high-pitch count right away for Jake Arietta. Is this about what we expected out of Arietta for the Cubs? Is he is he underperformed or is this about right for you? No, this is about what I was expecting. I mean he had some stronger starts earlier on. You certainly hope he can give you a little bit more length um than he has been lately. But, you know, I as much as we all love the old Jake, this is that's just not the guy he is anymore. And I think that uh the Cubs were ready and prepared for that. Um, I think that when that happens alongside other guys like Trevor Williams, uh, not doing as well as he, uh, he has better been better lately, but early on in the season, he was very up and down. Zach Davies didn't have a good start. Kyle Hendricks didn't have a good start. When all that sort of happens at the same time, it sort of exacerbates the problem, but I don't think anyone should have expected more than this out of Jake. And I don't think that would be fair to, you know, he's should be pitching at the back of this rotation uh, and Kyle Hendricks, Zach Davies, and Everett Alzelay should be the ones leading it. Uh, and that's okay. You know, every team has fourth and fifth starters. He just needs to be able to gobble up some more innings than he has been lately. And as soon as he does that again, takes a little bit of pressure off the bullpen. Uh, the entire pitching staff performs just uh, better because they'll be more rested, better matchups. Um, so that's what I'm looking to get out of him. He doesn't need to be dominant. He just needs to cover, cover more innings than he has been. We're talking with Michael Cerami of Leecher Nation. We're talking Cubs baseball here on The Score. So the most remarkable thing happened is that the, the Cubs kept suffering injuries and were among the leaders in weighted runs created plus. And their bullpen, which you had no idea about, and the, the rotation, they had the second best ERA in the National League and the best bullpen uh, according to ERA or by ERA. So I don't know if you can explain this other than the whimsy and caprice of bullpens. And I don't know that I trust any part of that rotation, including Kyle Hendricks. And I don't know if you were, if you were Jed Hoyer and you got to make a deal, had to make a deal. What would you, what would you deal for Michael? Jim Henry. I mean, I'm, I'm at Jed Hoyer. We were talking about Jim Henry earlier. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was awesome. Welcome to Saturday Suckage, Michael. We're, we're, talking in, we're talking in tongues here. Sorry. What would Larry Himes have said? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, right. Um, I think that if the Cubs, uh, let's, let's say, let's, let's, play, let's play the optimists on uh, this beautiful Monday, Memorial Day morning. Um, if the Cubs are performing well through this month and they get to July and they actually do look to uh, – make an addition to the roster, which is still entirely possible. I think you have to look to add 
uh, starting pitcher, someone who can, uh, they, they might not be the top of the rotation guy and, and there's not a ton of options out there. Um, you know, we like to joke that Max Scherzer could be a pretty fun rental pitcher this, uh, this season if the Nationals decide to finally move on and turn the page. But, you know, you shouldn't get your hopes up for anything like that. I suspect that at best this team can just be kept together with some fringe additions, uh, plugging any holes that are still existent because of injuries. And hopefully you can just get some better performances out of the starting rotation. And, you know, I trust Kyle Hendricks. He has been a lot better lately than he started. And he's actually had a lot of slow starts throughout his career, um, alternating on back and forth since 2014. He's pretty much had some six and seven ERA uh, stretches for the first five games of the year four or five times. And so, you know, once he gets settled into a rhythm, once he figures out, uh, he figured out this new baseball that they're using this year and it's helped uh, reel in his command, his velocity is fine. He's healthy. I mean, I trust him to lead the rotation and Edgar Elfly has been a revelation this year. I don't know how many innings the Cubs are looking to get out of him for the entire season. They might want to limit that a little bit, but right now he's going deeper and deeper in the ball games and he's looking like the kind of guy that can pitch, a playoff series, you know, alongside Kyle Hendricks. And then there's Zach Davies, who has historically been able to beat his peripherals with uh, weak contact, not unlike Kyle Hendricks. And for the first time this month, he's had a really good ERA. I mean, he's not been great. There's been a lot of problems. He still can't really be trusted the third time through the order, and that leads to a lot of short outings. But when, the, when you're pairing all of that with a dominant bullpen from top to bottom, including guys still hanging out in the minor leagues, well, we've seen the Brewers do this year in and year out. The entire pitching staff is the one winning games, and it's just not the way it used to be where the starter is going six, seven innings, but that's okay. If everyone is uh, ready to be the next man up, then the Cubs can get by with this staff. I just think that adding a starting pitcher to help relieve some of that uh, extra tension uh, in the middle innings uh, would be helpful because, again, it would just help with matchups, keep everyone rested, keep everyone healthy. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to think that the Cubs can kind of tinker with that idea of being the the just get us to the bullpen, get us to the fifth inning, you know, be be one of the like the old Kansas City Royals or the Cleveland Indians that Steve was talking about with Andrew Miller earlier. Hey, just just get, like I never thought we'd be saying just get the ball to Ryan Tapera and Andrew Chafin and Tommy <laughs> Nance, right? And Dan Winkler and 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 even even Craig Kimbrell. Just get it get like I didn't think we'd be saying that in this manifestation of Craig Craig Kimbrell. And this is an unfair and tough question, I think, because I don't know if there's an answer to it. But is that sustainable from what you've seen out of these bullpen arms? Does it look legitimate? Well, so there's there's sort of two ways to answer that. Uh, broadly, it certainly is sustainable. I mean, again, we've seen teams in our division do this recently. The Milwaukee Brewers from in 2018 and 2019 were just these, like, hodgepodge collection of arms. Half of them you never heard of. Half of them you thought washed out. And yet they consistently delivered good results throughout the entire season. And it was just sort of a modern approach to covering innings. But and as far as the Cubs specifically go, yeah, you know what? I'm starting to be a believer. When Tommy Nance come up and just absolutely dominate and be trust, thrusted into high leverage innings, and you're like, what the heck? This guy's debuting age 30. He's an absolute stud. And then yeah. when, when uh, one the same lines, you know, Edward Elsley, uh adds a slider to his, uh, you know, arsenal over the last year and a half because of the pitch lab. And 
suddenly when that that was like the first signal that something was changing and now this chur- constant churning of reliever after reliever who throws 96 97 has great bite on his break on their breaking balls one guy goes down another one comes up half the people in chicago haven't heard of him and they're all you know, calling the wearing their jerseys now. It's like Andrew Chapin has become an absolute all star in the city of Chicago because he's awesome. And there's guy after guy. Justin Steele goes down. Keegan Thompson is still good. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's there's there's never ending uh, uh, journey of these pitchers, and and so far it's been really fun to watch. And I think the Cubs deserve credit for whatever they all the hard work they put in behind the scenes over the last year and a half and then actually applying that and getting buy-in from their pitchers, it's clearly working. And other really good teams do this. It just hasn't been the case in Chicago yet. So I'm willing to bet that this is actually real and sustainable and not just a fluke uh, of an early season you know, uh, excitement that is going to wash away. I think this is a real uh, transformation of the entire Cubs pitching infrastructure, and it's been really fun to watch. Michael Sharami is our guest. He recovers the Cubs and writes about them at BleacherNation.com. So, so do you think Jed Hoyer's going to have fans start getting in the ballpark? I have no idea what marquee subscription subscriptions are, where they stand. I don't know how full the the Purple Hotel is or whatever rooftops are doing, but it all seems that that's where Tom Ricketts could say yay or nay to spending money. The, G- the baseball guy in Jed Hoyer undoubtedly wants his team to force ownership to commit money. Do you think, is there a record in mind they come off these 17 games against a bunch of teams that would be in the playoffs right now if they started now? Do you think there's a record, a number there, or a standing, or a place? Or does it have to be the through the prism of can this team win the World Series with one more addition, if we make one more, more trade and we keep that guy, as opposed to de- as opposed to trading Bryant and or Baez and or Contreras, where do you think? Where's the? Is there that number, or is it simply a look at that team and their competitiveness overall? I think it's certainly going to be more. Uh, listen, there's obviously a number on the downside, uh, without question. If the Cubs. You know, if the Cardinals go on an absolute tear and the Cubs just sort of struggle through this month and they're five games out, well, you know, listen, it's they're going to sell. But if they stay close and they uh, are more importantly looking competitive, uh, David Ross said this recently, um, he knows that his team's banged up and that they are playing a bunch of really good teams and that this entire month includes travel from the West Coast to the East Coast, uh, back, bouncing back and forth, and it's just it's going to be tough. If they look good and they're within uh, shouting distance, then I think you can keep them together. I don't think that uh, any additions will happen unless the Cubs are pretty clearly in first and dominating the division, which isn't entirely out of the realm of possibility. And in that case, yeah, sure, maybe they'll look to add someone. But I think the, the most likely outcome and the one I'm at least I'm sort of rooting for at this point is that just everyone is kept together and they give it one more shot to uh, – see what happens because again this is baseball this isn't this isn't the nfl this isn't the nba you get to the playoffs and then anything can happen not having a ton of starting pitching depth it hurts but uh this is the type of bullpen i would love to see deployed aggressively in october and so if the cubs can get there um, i think jed hoyer has to keep them together and even more acutely the it's very rare that you get 
you know, Chris Bryan at his MVP levels. At the same time, you have a closer already in-house performing as well as he ever has in Craig Kimbrell. And when you have an MVP and a closer on a team, that at the same time, you know, you have to really take advantage of that. It doesn't happen often. It doesn't happen often where you don't have to go out and add one of those guys by trading Glaber Torres to the Yankees, you know, or, or Jorge Soler to the Royals or whatever, you know. So I think that the Cubs would be wise to keep the band together uh, as long as they can, and it's going to be based more on how they look this next month than just the final numbers in the standings. No doubt. And, and Michael, if they do keep the, the band together, let's say they do do that, who returns to the band next year? Or let's put it this way. Who is leaving the band in the offseason? Is there a chance in hell that the Cubs are able to, or will, in your mind, pay Chris Bryant what he is worth in the offseason, Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, and to a lesser degree, Wilson Contreras, because I think he's still under contract. Yeah, so Wilson Contreras should be back. He's got another year under contract. Um, as far as Anthony Rizzo goes, I mean, I've been pretty vocal about this. I This isn't the Chicago Cubs without him right now. Um, I think they absolutely need to find a way to pay him what he's worth and, you know, keep him around. Chris Bryan and Javi are a little bit more difficult. Um, I'm actually a little bit more optimistic on Javi Baez, not just relative to Chris Bryan, but relative to where I was at the start of the season. He's sort of, uh, I think his performance this year has been like the most true color Javi Baez that we can expect. He's, his average isn't uh, going to kill you. He's not getting on base a ton because he isn't walking, but he's hitting for enough power while playing his typical excellent defense in the field. Um, Early on, he had some errors, but it turns out he was injured. But what I like about this is we're seeing exactly who we know he is. He's not quite the MVP bad he was a couple of years ago, but he's not. He's also not as bad as he was last year. And I think that sort of in-between uh, area is going to let the Cubs and Hobby agree on a value that makes sense long-term. So I actually do, uh, and we know that they were working on extension. So I do think that they uh, will find some common ground. Chris Bryant, well, if you take his word for it, he says he loves Chicago. He wants to stay. He's got a family now, and there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic. But the sequencing of his good and bad seasons and injuries have basically made this even harder than it already was going to be. Um, and all of this, a lot of people forget, that makes it even more difficult, is that Chris Bryant was an older prospect when he came up because he was a college draftee. So even though he rose through the ranks quickly, he was already a little bit older and he's already approaching 29, 30 years old. So an extension is just, it's not as easy when you look around the league and see guys that are 24, 25 getting extended um, for these $300 million plus deals. I don't really think that that makes sense for Chris Bryant. I don't think anything in that level, even when he's playing at this MVP caliber is really fair. So if someone out there is going to be willing to give him to that, give him that much, I, I, it would be hard for me to blame the Cubs for not doing that when they're finally getting this blank slate sort of restart. But if he's willing to end up somewhere reasonable and every signal seems to be that he does uh, want to stay in Chicago and would take something reasonable, then the Cubs need to try to get something done. I don't expect it, but it's still a possibility. And uh, I think Chris Bryan has showed us plenty of times that he's, um, you know, he's not some uh, uh, angry star trying to get out of the city and butting heads right. with Jed Hoyer or whatever. I mean, he likes it here, and I think that that matters a lot. Um, so I'm optimistic, but I'm, I'm not exactly expecting it. Anthony Rizzo and Javi Baez, I am expecting them to be around next year. 
Thank you for your time, Michael. Thanks for joining us on this holiday. Hope you're safe and well and have a good time the rest of the day. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Michael thanks, Michael. Cerami, Michael Cerami of Bleacher Nation, talking Cubs. Um, and we were talking baseball. Remember that Theo Epstein guy? Do you remember Theo Epstein, Mark? I do. I do remember Theo. Yes, yes. I want to say walks on water or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he walked into USA Today and or walked into an interview situation with Bob Nightingale and detailed some of the things they're working on, some of the changes that you will see that will come to baseball, some of which you heard about, some of which you did not. Well. Surprised me. So, uh, I want to go over the article. I will. Uh, we'll bring this back. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we will talk about what what Theo hopes to bring to baseball, and we'll do that right. next on Saturday Suckage on Monday. And I I want to appreciate Mark. You, you share with me the the uh, gratefulness of the 708 texter. My confidence in this show is so high that I can honestly say it has the ability to suck. All days, not just Saturdays. You can thank me later. Well, we'll thank you right now. Wow. Saturday, Saturday second on Monday. Thanks for listening. Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Welcome in. Welcome back. Steve Rosen and Mark Rody with you. Part of our marathon broadcast, we started at 7 in the morning on Memorial Day, and we will be going through the Bears opener until, or until Justin Fields is named the starter. That's how, that's how we're doing this on WSCR Sports Radio 670. Uh, update on the White Sox, James Fegan of The Athletic. Let us know that Michael Kopech has gone from Reinstated from the bereavement list to reinstated to the injured list, strained left hamstring, dating back to May 28th, so he'll be eligible to come off when they play the Blue Jays. So there's part of your Mark, uh, Mark. There's part of your Michael Kopech question answered. Well, hopefully it it stays at strain, and that would be yeah. a relative win because <laughs> I think that I was like most people watching. When he went down, that didn't look anything like a strain. That looked like, ooh, something hap- like something popped or snapped or, you know? I mean, it was down to the ground, get off the field, and it didn't feel good. And then in the postgame, it was Ozzie Gian and Scott Bitsednik, who have both dealt with injuries similar to that, kind of laughing at the idea of it being day-to-day, saying that, ooh, you know, suspecting that maybe something major had occurred. But if it stays at strain and you get him back in a week or two, then that is, I'll take that. I'll take that and put him in the ninth. Rotate him with Liam Hendricks. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. 773 Texter. By the way, Texone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at rosenhyundai.com. Our number is 7, uh, not 773, 773 Text or let us know at 312-644-6767. I forgot the injury of Brendan Morrow putting his pants on in the dark in the closet. He got injured doing that. 
Yes, your... he did. Well, you forgot a couple of them actually. Yeah. There was yeah. also. Did you did you even mention the Chris Sale tr- pickup truck? Incident? No, I didn't have that or the Jeff Kent, uh, the whole pickup truck thing, the whole. Con- yeah. Cool, cool and I assume boys. you were just doing baseball because there's yes. of course okay because the, yeah. then if you went into the Carlos Boozer gym bag realm or. There was a Bears defensive lineman. Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson, thank you. What was it? The, the dogs going down yeah, the stairs? Yeah, right. Whatever. Like just that? some made-up thing. God knows what, what it was. You know? <laughs> but yeah, okay. So you got most of them. Good job, yes. Steve. So, so Theo Epstein has gone from uh, Cubs savior to uh, trying to save baseball from itself. And he uh, sat down with USA Today. Uh, Bob Nightingale, as Nightingale says, uh, his favorite Wrigleyville coffee shop. And I guess it was the one where Paul Sullivan hunted him down based on (laughs) a tweet when he was here for the interview. Um, Famously, yep. Yeah, so so Theo's trying to make baseball fun again. He's head of the committee, he's a smart guy, and, and he started from the idea of, let's say you're starting from scratch, and he... He's quoted in USA Today saying, I don't think anyone would sit down and say, hey, we really want to have a 25 to 30 percent strikeout rate. And he's right. (laughs) So you want Uh to change. You want to tweak the game. You want to change it. And in his mind, his prism, the way he's looking at it is balance pitcher versus hitter, not one having a significant advantage like pitchers cheating and throwing as hard as you can and and being rewarded for throwing as hard as you can and being rewarded for putting suntan lotion on the ball and not getting caught. And so MLB is cracking down on that, as we saw Joe West do that. Um, and and Craig Kimbrell fame, you know, notably went out there and said, Joe, this is on my hat. You're going to bust me for it? And so he got, that, he got ahead of that. But they're making the point here that league-wide batting average was 237 as of Friday which was tied for the lowest since World War II. That's something, huh? But batting average doesn't matter, just like pitchers' wins don't matter. There are 18.04 strikeouts per game, which has more than doubled in the last 40 years. The average time between pitches is 23 seconds. The average game, the average time in between hits is now 12 minutes, according to G. Scott Thomas's research. And the average time in between a ball even put in play is 3 minutes, 51 seconds. So you're talking about the three true outcomes overcoming everything. Fortunately, in a a way, Theo separates baseball's pace of play, which is just the intrinsic, and baseball's need for action in the game. There's no way baseball ever gets away from the pace of play. It, you can shave two minutes off. It's not going to change the pace of play. Putting more action into it is the point. So one thing that has caused baseball to slow down is catchers having to change signals when a guy gets on second. It's not a big thing, but it happens. This USA Today article, you knew they were going to screw with the, the business to the mound. One way to eliminate catchers going to the mound to change signs is they're going to have catchers wearing electronic devices on their wristbands will signal pitches to the pitcher wearing bone conduction headsets on their caps. That sounds awful. <laughs> well, it sounds like 
the the middle linebacker and the quarterback wearing the speakers and the headphone and their their helmets, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. It, hey, anything to keep Wilson Contreras from getting crossed up after they change <laughs> sequences is That's fine true. with me. Doesn't it seem That's like he's true. been crossed up a ton this year? It just yes. feels like that. Like it yes. just, I think it's because he gets so like when Wilson Contreras gets crossed up, like his immediate response is, "What the hell was that?" Yeah, like his right. mask comes off and he's staring down at his pitcher, and then he runs out there like any catcher would. But yeah, anything to keep him from getting crossed up is fine with me. So the 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 rule we saw most recently is any reliever has to pitch to three batters, or the end of an inning. Right. Yes. That's that's, that's the like rule that. that. Okay, I, I well, love that one, by the way. BT really? Yeah, I, okay. I love it. I love okay. it, yes. Well, there's a newer rule coming that will have that similar effect, but it's going to be – But let me get what you – let me get your opinion on this. Please, Steve. Limiting pitching staffs. Next year, teams will be limited to 13 men, 13 pitchers. And in future years, it will go to 12 and 11. I think I like that. I do actually, because yeah, you're you're forcing guys to stay in longer, and obviously you with the three batter requirement that that's already in place to do some of that, then you have more of it. And I love the fact that it makes it it makes it more challenging for managers. You gotta you gotta really consider who you put into games and you can't just have this willy nilly two outs in the inning. I'm going to have this guy come in and face that and stop the progress of the game. So I'm, I'm totally down with it. You? Well, I like the idea. I like the, it's sort of a domino effect here. You, you, you are required. You will be when we get to 11, maybe 12, but certainly with 11 pitchers on a staff, you're requiring your starters to go longer. And one of the things you'll require them to go through the lineup the third time, and we know that's trouble. They will not be able to come in and throw 117 miles an hour on their first pitch and go as long as they can, and when they settle down to 100 miles an hour, it's time for the manager to get them out. They will need to navigate. They will need to make return to pitching as art, not science. Right now it's science. As hard as you can as long as you can, and then we'll get somebody else to do the same thing. Because fastballs, are it's ridiculous. The pitchers, according to USA Today, throwing at record speeds with an average at 93 miles per hour. So you will force starters to slow, to lose velocity. You'll allow for more, to hitters to catch up to them. You'll either wear out your bullpen or you'll use them in a smarter way. And there will be more action in the game. Mm-hmm. There will be more contact, and that's really what I think. Theo's in the right area. You cannot. You're never going to change the pace of play. You can't. Baseball is baseball, but you can put more action in it. And nobody. A three and a half hour game when it's two to one is just dreadful. It's horrible. A three and a half hour game when it's you know eight to six. There's action. Stuff's going on there. You, yeah. you, you You're okay. You don't mind the three and a half hours. At least you're getting entertainment value. Yeah, so the what, idea. Uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah, I was going to say, say what, whatever happened to the idea of a pitch clock? Why, why has that been? Why was that experimented with and then blown off? Because 
that that solves all sorts of problems with the with the batter stepping out of the box every 10 seconds with pitchers because there's nothing worse than a pitcher Steve Traxling it. I mean, we make jokes about it, but it's the worst when you have a reliever come into a game or if it's the starter and he's taken all day. And then on the other side of it, how awesome is it when there is a pitcher on the mound like a Kyle Hendricks who is just dealing, 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 and you're like, this is a pleasure for everybody, everybody watching, those covering it, those defending that pitcher literally as the defensive players like what happened to the pitch clock why has that been eliminated from our brains I, I don't know other than it, it sounded ineffective when it started and enforcing it gave umpires something else to watch and they have enough trouble watching the strike zone that pitch clock was usually in center field so the batter could see it it would have to be behind the plate so the pitcher could see it and Let's do it yeah, I don't think it does anything. I mean, what are you going to shave? Two, three minutes off a game? I don't know. I mean, just, it, like you're not. It's not going to improve anything. I don't you think don't it think moves that a, like a, a a guy pitching like Kyle Hendricks or Greg Maddox back in the day, or fill in your fill in the blank example that that a, a pitcher moving at a speedy rate does not speed up games. I it, it does think if it you're. Would. Right, if you're Mark Burley, that's that's it. That, <laughs> I agree, and and that yeah. there's no there's no question it would, but nobody is going to be that way. They've all their their organizations have taught them they can take all the time they want. Maybe not Steve Traxel it, but somewhere in between. Brent, uh, yeah. Brandon McCarthy, former White Sox, and just a a terrific follow on Twitter. Yeah, his idea was to speed up the game. Take Mark Burley's average time and add 10 seconds, and that's what pitchers should have to do. He was giving every other pitcher a 10-second cushion, a margin of error, because they weren't Mark Burley. I just don't think it matters. I think what you have to do is put more action in the game, and they're doing that, and, and or that's what they're trying to do. So they talked about – there's two things that have been talked about with the mound, and one is lowering it, and one is moving it back. And moving the mound – Lowering the mound was what happened when Bob Gibson had the, you know, he, he was the headliner in the year of the pitcher in 68 and as 1.12 ERA and, and they said, that's it. That's enough. We're lowering the mound. They lowered it from 15 to 10 inches. Lowering it anymore, science um, is suggesting that you're going to create more injuries, elbow, shoulder, more pitchers, pitching injuries. Ah. So... They talked about moving it back a foot or two feet, and they're using the Atlantic League as a a, a lab. That's their petri dish, and it got a lot of blowback. And they're doing it in the second half of the year. Let pitchers strengthen their arms first, then see where we are at 62, 63. What happens to velocity? What happens to command and control? And what happens to what are the hitters? able to do with it and Theo makes a really good point is if if it's been a topic of discussion for so long why don't we find out we can either put it to bed or we can propel it forward and -hmm. there's no and he's right let's find out and you do this in a league that's willing to do it and you find out can guys adapt will they be able to and again that gets back to pitching as art not science thinking your way through every hitter, every game, every inning, all that kind of stuff. Here's the, you know, I'll say, but the one thing that really, that surprised me that I had not thought about regards pitchers 
and it regards the way teams are going to have to approach home plate. So I know we have to take a break. We'll come back and we will discuss another part of this interview that Theo did with USA Today about changes that are coming. And I'll run this next change by you, Mark Grody, and what you think of that as we do Saturday Suckage on Monday. Thanks for listening. Hope you're well. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Welcome in, welcome back. Steve Rosenblum, Mark Grody with you. Saturday Suckage on Monday. 260 Texter. I'm listening to a very special holiday edition of Saturday Suckage on bone induction headphones. It does not suck any more than usual anyway. Hmm. Oh, we, we thank you for for that that <clears throat> cogent comment. 773 Texter, I'm in a Memorial Day weekend haze, but that was the most informative enter- and entertaining segment on the score in a long time. Bravo and Encore Brothers. Well, we thank you for that. And even without you explaining it, we would have known you were in a weekend haze. So we're continuing to talk the USA Today, Theo's interview with Bob Nightingale and USA Today about changes to baseball. So robo lumps, right, Mark? We yep. We've been hearing this for a while. Robo lumps. Sure. Right. The idea, the just say that, hurry, 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 without without less grobstein, without the grobber placing the big robot metal thing behind the umpire behind the catcher it's a fraud i don't like robots they don't exist right i get right so before that without that um what did you think what of robot umps did you like the idea or not like the idea behind the home plate yeah when you say you keep saying umps you you mean but there's the plate right automated yeah automated strike zone balls and strikes i i am more for it than against it yeah i i if i had to check the yes or no box I would say yes, because it then eliminates what I always find to be the most painful process of any television baseball broadcast, the part where the announcers bitch about the strike zone. Yes, right. And, and they show it, and it's they always, and they say, well, it's not necessarily a true angle, not exactly right, but this would be exactly right. But here's something I didn't think of. It's going to be here in three years, according to this USA Today piece. And I did not think... Uh, I just thought, well, they take the strike zone, and they will be, they will be, they will be. Finally, they won't have to convince umpires to change because umpires have to have this know-it-all, I'm right, the you know the Joe West mentality. Yeah, they will be able to set the strike zone consistently, and that's really all any athlete wants from an from official, an umpire, whatever it is. Just right. be consistent. I want that in in a pitcher's and hitter's case. I want the strike zone the same in the ninth inning as it was in the first. There you and go. And you've seen that in other sports. You want and and we've seen a lot of referees in basketball and hockey swallow their whistles that later it got. So they're willingly calling fouls and penalties in the first period, first quarter. They won't call at the end of the game. They don't want to determine the game by not calling it. They determine the game. Anyways, this, as, as regards robot umpires, I never thought that they then can tweak the strike zone. It's not just saying we want a strike zone where it should be. We're going to create our own strike zone. And Theo is quoted as saying the way the strike zone used to be, it was a little bit wider, 
and a little bit shorter, which was better for contact. Now it's really tall, but it's narrow. So you can shrink the strike zone a little bit, especially the upper boundary, which might be better for inducing more contact. Hmm. Okay. I like I never, that. And I never yeah, thought no, of I had, that. I hadn't either. And I really like that because I, I, I was thinking too, and this doesn't go towards contact, unfortunately. When you have when you watch the pitch track box that every broadcast has now, and I love that every TV broadcast has it, mm-hmm. it's those pitches that literally hit the outside of that square rectangular box that are always 50-50 balls still, a lot of the times, right? And, and umpires, like, oh, it's just outside of it or it's just inside of it, and that's when you can't really argue, like, okay, it's close, I get where the... Those are the pitches that will be given to batter or pitcher. Those are the ones I, I'm not, of course, I hate the blatant misses, but it's actually the, the balls that actually land on the line that I would like to see be called with some exactness because they make the difference in a 2-1 count or a 2-2 count or whatever the case may be. I would agree, and I don't think the TV is ever going to get that perfect until they have until they're calibrated with the the robo umps, and that that would be that. I don't. One of the things I don't understand. Moving on, one last point about this: what Theo said about changing games and the idea of banning the shift. I am strongly against this. I don't want to take smarts out of the game. And Theo Theo talks about such things as as it's not you can't make organizations or players prioritize a way of playing just because it's more familiar making contact as opposed to swinging for the fences. He says it's important to find ways to adjust the rules to create incentives that reward those behaviors. Well, the, the rewards have always been the same if you is scoring runs. Maybe chicks do dig the long ball, but you're still scoring runs. You're getting hits, you're scoring runs. And this is the guy who said launch angle is real. And I don't, I haven't seen a compelling argument that leads me to convince, that, that leads me to, to believe that there's a way to, a, a way to eliminate launch angle. It's, it's about scoring runs. You can incentivize it by winning in other ways. If pitchers don't have the velocity, hitters will be more adept at hitting the other way. They should be required to, they should learn that skill. I don't like the idea of banning the shift looks to me like, well, our our hitters are too incompetent. Our our organizations are too incompetent from teaching hitters to hit a different way. Well, no, they shouldn't be. These are the players being paid. These are players at the highest level of this game. Yeah. You should be able to adapt, change, study. You should be exhibiting the professional attitude of succeeding any way you can. I don't know how you incentivize. You ban the shift and you create more action. I get that. I think you're penalizing smart teams. I don't want to do that. You should out- no, I, outsmart I, them. I agree. I mean, I think, yeah. I'm uncomfortable with two things. Banning the shift, I'm with you there. And I'm and back to it, the changing dimensions of any kind in baseball, like as you said, moving the mound back potentially. I am not there yet. Like, I can't get on board with moving the mound back. And maybe I should be because 
we allowed for it so easily, like in basketball, moving the three-point line back or having a three-point line in college basketball because it hasn't always been there. But I don't know where you fall on that, but changing the traditional elements um, like that, like like base-to-base, 90 feet, or from the mound to the plate, I can't. I'm not there yet. I'm all for changing certain things that that add to the athleticism and talent. Uh, I don't. And I get, the NHL is two perfect examples. One is they remove the red line. You can make passes. You can make the Duncan Keith pass, the Brent Seabrook pass from behind your own net to the far blue line. That created more offense. It created more action. The home run pass or stretch pass, whatever it is, that's great. Yeah. I was livid when they when they created the trapezoid and limited the goaltenders who could handle the puck. You took away a skill. And I equate banning the shift with taking away a skill, thinking as a skill. And, and I, I hated when the NHL did that. You're taking away what goaltenders can do. Other players have to become better. You can't just dump the puck in and think you get a, you get a free play there. You don't. You dump it in, and a good goaltender is going to take advantage of it and start something the other way. You can't be lazy. And I think t- banning the shift means players, teams are, you've given them a ticket to be lazy. I don't want to see that. So, How about this? How about this, Steve? Yeah. Every game, this this will increase time and urgency. Every game is a seven-inning doubleheader. Every game. <laughs> you play two games whether you're scheduled or not. Okay, that's good. If every game thought, was seven the, innings, I'd be fine yeah. with that. I mean, dude, like it's a ama- like I have to be reminded before every double header. Oh yeah, there's seven, in- and even in the game, it's like, oh, it's the fourth inning. What's the big deal? No, it's the fourth inning. You got to either take the lead or hold the lead right now because this game is almost over, and it's kind of awesome. Yes, I'm I'm all for seven inning games. Now, a texture makes a really good point about squishing the strike zone. That if you if you is right now it's tall and narrow. And it makes the high fastball, I mean, it makes the high fastball the one effective pitch, as Cub fans know, because the Dodgers just drilled the Cubs with a high fastball when you're doing three three true outcomes. Then you get back to three true outcomes. If you lower the top of the strike zone, then you might as well make launch angle, and launch angle is real. But at least there would be more contact if that were it, if they couldn't strike you out on the high on the high fastball, then there would be more action, and baseball needs more action. I don't believe it'll ever affect the pace of play, and we're running late. And an hour later, because this is what suckage is all about, we are going to do what Mark heard. I'm ready, buddy. We, we will take a break on Saturday suckage on Monday, and then we will come back with what Mark heard, Chicago yes. Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.